Um, yeah, it's a beautiful time. So I thought, since we've been talking about following God, I thought I would ask you this question. You know, following Christ in earnest. And again, I'll always make the qualification, not in some, you know, religious way, but in, um, I love you with all my heart, which is what really biblical Christianity is all about. But I thought I would ask the question, is anyone here consciously or willfully disobeying Jesus Christ in your life right now? Do you know what He is telling you to do right now? Do you know that that place of obedience that He's calling you to and you simply are refusing to obey the Lord? It could be 101 things. It doesn't really matter how small it is or how big it is. If you're disobeying Christ, what, what, what should we call it? There's no pretty name to put on it. If we're disobeying God, what do we call it? Sin. It's sin, right? It could be sin for me to be preaching to you today. If God called me to the Sudan and I'm preaching in Milan, I'm in sin. Amen? You know, you've heard it said, I'm sure, that, um, that the good is the enemy of the best. And aren't we good at settling for what could be considered good and what looks acceptable when in fact God has called us further. God has called us deeper. <laughs> Good is often the enemy of the best. Particularly in discipleship. You know, I've said it to you many times. <laughs> Jesus is not going to leave you very long in the same place. He's always going to take you further. He's always going to bring you out of your comfort zone. This is what faith is all about. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So He's always going to be bringing you to faith because it pleases Him when you believe Him and you obey Him. We're not to settle for simply the good. We're not to settle for uh, the least that will be accepted, as C.S. Lewis says. We're to push on with God. We're to push on with Christ, right? We don't sit in our spiritual recliners. We go on with Jesus, right? We're aggressive about this. We're proactive about this. Lord Jesus, bid me come, right? Lord Jesus, bid me come, as Peter said. This should be our prayer. Lord Jesus, bid me come. Lord Jesus, bid me come. If you've studied the life of King Saul, you know how God feels about fractional obedience. We'll call it fractional obedience. He told King Saul, he gave King Saul specific instructions. But King Saul improvised. He sort of halfway obeyed the Lord. Was God pleased with partial obedience, with fractional obedience? Is God pleased with that? You remember what happened to King Saul. He lost his kingdom. Because he compromised on obedience. I heard an old preacher say, God is as interested in partial obedience as your spouse is in partial faithfulness. I think that's a good thing to remember. So I know all of us in this room have at least one thing in common. We talked about it Thursday night at YI Bible Study. We all know how to rationalize, don't we? We all know what this word means, and we all know how to do it. 
particularly in our Christian context. We know how to rationalize. We know what that means. I looked it up in the dictionary. It means to, listen to this, you'll love it, to devise self-satisfying but incorrect reasons for my behavior. Now, I'm sure none of you do that, right? I know I do at times. Are you given to rationalization? You know how to, you know how to rationalize? This is a yeah, human, universal human uh, trait and endeavor. I'll read it to you again. To devise self-satisfying but incorrect reasons for my disobedience really, is what I'm talking about. For my disobedience, Lord, that looks too hard. Lord, that makes me uncomfortable. Lord, that's not on my resume. Lord, that's going to cost me too much. Lord, I'll lose that relationship. Lord, that'll be, that'll be too hard for me. And we begin to rationalize. And we begin to find some place, some middle ground, Right? <laughs> the middle ground is always much easier. I looked up some synonyms for the word rationalize. It says this, to reduce, to decrease, to downsize, to cut back, to lessen, to diminish, and to slim down. So, we hear God's Word. We read God's Word. We know what God has told us to do. We are His people. We are His disciples. We know what He has said. If we've read our Bibles, we get it. We understand it. But to varying degrees... Most of us in this room will reduce that, decrease that, downsize that, cut back on that, lessen that, diminish that, and slim down on that. Right? Isn't it our default mindset to go the way of the flesh? Maybe you're more spiritual than me. I don't know. But I know my default mindset is to do that which I understand, that which is easy, that which is comfortable. That which is in the little box that I like to live in. Jesus calls us out of that box every day. You know this, right, beloved? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Of course, He's going to call you to larger faith on a perpetual and ongoing basis. We know we're all sinners. I'm not talking about sinlessness. None of us attain to sinlessness in this life. I'm not talking about sinlessness. I'm talking about obedience. And I bet you, every one of you in here that is a Christian tonight, a born-again Christian, there's an area of obedience in your life that the Lord's been talking to you about. And for one reason or another, you've kept Him at arm's length on it. Not only is that wrong, not only is that wrong, beloved, I said it last week, not only is that wrong, it's your loss. It's always your loss when you compromise with God. When you don't go with God, you lose. God never loses. You lose. Jesus is calling us into this beautiful intimacy. And it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Amen? And that happens as we Love Him enough to obey Him. So, we find the disciples tonight in John chapter 21. Um, I think that's uh, where these guys are. Matthew 28 tells us that Jesus had instructed these guys to go meet Him on the mountain, some undisclosed mountain in Galilee. Are they on the mountain? Someone tell me. Are they on the mountain in John 21? 
No, they went fishing, right? <laughs> they went fishing. Maybe they forgot about going to the mountain. Or maybe they were engaged in the same thing you engage in and I engage in. This discipleship thing is a lot more intense than I thought it was going to be, right? I think these guys are taking the first step back to their old way of life. Now, I'm not dogmatic about this, although I think I can make a really strong case. I think these guys are supposed to be on the mountain waiting for Jesus. And they said, let's go fishing. I think it's the first step back into their pre-Jesus life, right? I think that's what is happening in the text. Verse 2, John 21. These guys are together. There are seven disciples. Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and two others. Uh, certainly they most likely are Andrew and Peter. Verse 3. Peter says, I'm going to go fishing and all the guys go. We see here that they get into the boat, not a boat. It's the boat. I think it's Peter's boat. I think Peter is beginning to go back. And how many times do we say it in here? All the time. If you've met Jesus, you can't go back. You can't go back. You have to go forward with Christ. This is how it is in the born-again life. Jesus is never going to take you back. In fact, Jesus is never going to sit down with you in a, comfortable in a comfortable spot. Jesus is always going to be moving and He's going to expect you to follow Him. It's how it always is on the pages of Scripture. So these, these ex-fishermen, they go back and they begin to fish. Fishing is not a sin, is it? Certainly not. It's not a sin to go fishing unless God said, you wait for me on the mountain. Then it's a sin. And as I said to you earlier, <laughs> if God has called me to the Sudan, every time I stand in this place and preach the Word of God to you, I'm sinning. I'm sinning. Do you understand, do you understand the point? You may be doing a good thing, but if you're not obeying Christ, you're sinning. You may have rationalized yourself into a really comfortable place in your Christianity. And it may look just fine to everyone. But if you're not obeying Christ, you are sinning. So, the point of the message here tonight is that you and I both, if we've compromised, if we've rationalized, that we would repent. That we'll repent. We'll repent tonight. If I've rationalized with God, if I've compromised with God, I repent. I repent tonight. I repent tonight. That's the application for you and me. Yeah, maybe this disciple thing was a little more intense than Peter thought it was going to be. Hey, I can just be a good Christian fisherman, right? Of course you can, Peter! There are a lot of good Christian fishermen! Except God's called you to do something else, right? <laughs> He's called you to catch men. So it's a sin for you to go back to fishing. I've called you to the new place. Now, I know we talk a lot about this. God's always calling you to the new place. If you, if you know Him, if you love Him, if you're in relationship with Him, He's going to call you to the new place. He's never going to let you sit down and be comfortable for 20 years. That's not... 
born again, New Testament Christianity, God's always, as I've been saying, going to be taking us to a new place. As I alluded to last week, you know, I, I've seen this many times. You, 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 you're around someone and they seem to come to Christ with great enthusiasm and they're jazzed and man, I love Jesus. Man, I'm going to follow Jesus. And, and, and man, I'm just, I, you know, and you run into them 10 years later and they're nowhere with Jesus, right? All the emotion and enthusiasm is gone and they're just mostly bored church members. I go to church. That's, well, tell me about your faith. Tell me how you live out your faith. I go to church. That's all they do. That's the only way they can. That's the only way they express their faith. There's nothing wrong with going to church. I always tell you, you should come to church. It's what the people of God do. But it's only a small part of our Christianity, right? The sum and substance of our Christianity, the meat and potatoes of our Christianity, is out in the world. So, it's why I push you around every time you come in here. I don't want you to sit down with God. Not because it's simply wrong to sit down with God, because you lose if you sit down with God. You lose if you sit down with God. What did we talk about Thursday evening, young adults? Um, John 14, 21. What does Jesus say? If you love Me, what? You'll keep My commandments. And what happens when we love Jesus and we obey Jesus? What happens? I give myself to you. Jesus says, I disclose myself to you, right? And I, and I confess to the, to the group, it's why I obey. I don't obey because I ought and I should. Yes, I ought and I should. I obey because I want more of God. When you obey, if you're a Christian and you obey, you get more of God. God says, I'll come to you. I'll disclose myself to you. I'll manifest myself to you. I'll make myself known to you in a deeper way. How can you not get excited about that? I mean, you know, as John Eldridge says, uh, not the best theologian in the world, he's an author, he's written some Christian books, but he says, uh, you know, you walk into uh, your average American church, he's an American, so he doesn't know anything about the international scene or probably where you're from, but he says, you walk into your average American church and you, 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 you find mostly bored Christians. And you know, I've, you've heard me say this many times. I, I think that's an oxymoron. There's no such thing as a bored, born-again Christian. Certainly there are bored cultural Christians who, again, simply uh, attend church when it's convenient. If you're a bored Christian, <laughs> you sit down somewhere. If you're not hopelessly enamored and in love with Jesus, Something's wrong. If you call yourself a Christian, something's wrong. If you won't do what these men did last week, if you won't simply drop everything and go, you know, not everybody's called to go, but some of us are called to go. Some of us are called to stay. We talked about it last week. When Jesus says, follow me, He's asking for your life. It's not pray this prayer and you're in. It's are you mine? You are not your own. What does the Bible say? What does the Apostle Paul say? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, what? Does anybody know? Glorify God. Beloved, I push you around because I love you. Right? I don't know. This may be the last time I preach to some of you. And I don't want you to settle for a Christianity that big because that's no Christianity at all. 
that's no Christian. That's not biblical Christianity. Man, I want you to get as much of God as you can, and that always happens in obedience. The more radically you obey Him, <laughs> the more intense it is. The deeper the intimacy, the more joy there will be in your life. So I think these guys are. I think they're downsizing. I think they're starting to rationalize. Um, this, yeah, this uh, discipleship thing was, was a little more difficult than they thought that it would be. I like how Francis Chan talks about this. You know, he talks about Christians who sit down. He says, you know, the Christian who's merely a cultural Christian, who doesn't really think deeply about obedience, who doesn't really wrestle with obedience, who's not always saying, Lord, bid me come. Bid me come, Lord. I, I, I want to walk closer with You. Even if You're out on the water, bid me come. You know, that's where that text comes from. That, where Peter says that, bid me come. If that's You walking on the water, Lord, bid me come. I know it's impossible, but bid me come. It's something we always need to be praying, beloved. But Francis Chan says, you know, it's just showing up for church once a week and trying not to cuss too much. <laughs> he said, you know, that's the sum and substance of, of uh, the Christianity for some Americans. Well, I'm just not going to try to cuss as much as I used to and I'll go to church. That doesn't have anything to do with biblical Christianity, beloved. Absolutely nothing. We, it was in the music. Thank you, Orazio. As always. This guy's yeah. He's, he's hearing the Spirit of God. It was in the music. We've given ourselves to Him. He's our God. We follow Him. We follow Him. We follow Him. That's the question tonight. Are you following God? Or are you playing church with God? We talked about it last week. So I'm driving, uh, according to the leading of God, I'm driving this point home again this week. I think Peter and the boys are starting to downsize the call of God on their lives. I think it happens to millions of people who um, call themselves Christians. Here's the truth, and you know this. Those of you who are born again, you can't stuff... I am into um, your old way of life. You can't do it. Jehovah will not fit in your old way of life. God can't fit in your old way of life. It's just simply too small. Um, you either go forward with God or you sit down and let Him go. You play church and you just let Him go. You can't do both things, beloved. Yeah, maybe I'm just going to be a nice fisherman and I'm going to cuss less. <laughs> to use Francis Chan's superficial analogy. Nothing wrong with being a fisherman if that's what God's called you to do. Nothing wrong with being an accountant, a nurse, a homemaker. Nothing wrong with any of that stuff if that's what God has put you on the planet to do. But my point tonight is, are you hearing God and obeying God? I don't know what it is in your life. Like I said, it could be 101 things. Are you hearing God and obeying God? And some of you say, well, I'm not sure, Jim. Well, here's what you do. You just say, Lord, speak. Lord, bid me come. And just keep praying that prayer till you understand exactly what it is you need to be doing in whatever sphere of your life that God is talking to you about. If God's told you to be on the mountain, you need to be on the mountain. 
So I'll just stop and ask, how many of you are not on the mountain? How many of you know that God has told you something and you've simply not done it? Well, tonight, as your pastor, I lovingly challenge you to repent. You come clean with God. If not here tonight, sitting in your chair, you go home and do business with God. You give yourself to God maybe in in a way that you never have before. Lord, no restrictions. (laughs) No qualifications. No conditions. I'm yours. Take my life. Use it up for your glory. Use it up for your glory. So, these guys go fishing. How much did they catch? Might be a lesson here for us. How much did they catch? Not much. Not any. What's our takeaway lesson here? Well, we understand sovereignly God ordered all the fish to the other side of the sea. Uh, They couldn't catch a a fish if they had wanted to. God's in charge here. And I think there's a good lesson for us here. You know, you're not going to profit in any ultimate or spiritual sense if you're running from God, if you are in disobedience with God. I'm not talking about temporal. We know that evil men can temporally prosper. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about ultimate profit. I'm talking about uh, ultimate reward. I'm talking about spiritual things here. But I think this is a good illustration for us. You cannot disobey God with impunity. So, it doesn't matter how nice you are and how much you don't cuss anymore. Again, to use Chan's illustration. They don't catch anything. They don't catch anything. But Jesus comes to His men. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. He comes to discipline His men, right? And we know what, the, we know what Hebrews tells us. If, if you're a legitimate son or daughter, you will be what? Disciplined. It's what God does. He says, if you're not receiving my discipline, then you're illegitimate, right? It's what the Word of God tells us over, I think it's in Hebrews, is it chapter 12? Um, But Jesus comes to His men here and He doesn't come with a rod. He doesn't come with a rod. He comes in great tenderness and kindness. They're supposed to be on the mountain, but they're down on the lake fishing. God incarnate comes to them. (laughs) it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing he says children verse 5 do you have any fish no we don't have any fish verse 6 hey cast your net on the right hand side of the boat and you'll find a catch oh they found a huge catch John says what does John say I've seen this before what does John say it's the Lord and what does Peter do I've never understood this but he puts on his cloak his outer garment, he jumps in the water and he swims to the shore. Now, he's a hundred yards. He's a hundred yards offshore. We learned that in verse 8. I never understood why he put it. Anyway, it's what he did. So, he, 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 yeah, he swims to the shore. You've got to love this about Peter. He's in sin. In my view, this is my view of the text. And I think you'd find many conservative uh, scholars and theologians would agree but he can't wait to get it right. Amen? 
He can't wait to get it right. He knows he's supposed to, I think he knows he's supposed to be on the mountain. But he had started to go back to fish. Nothing wrong with being a good Christian fisherman, but Peter, I called you to fish for men. Fishing's a good thing. Being an accountant's a good thing. Being a homemaker's a good thing. They're all great vocations set aside uh, by the Lord for us to earn wages and, and to raise our children. But Peter knows he's supposed to be on the mountain and he can't wait, in my view, he can't wait to get this right with God. He's in a hurry to get it right. Verses 12, let's jump down verses 12 and 13. Um, well, first Jesus, verse 10, He says, bring some of the fish which you've caught. And um, they bring the fish to the land. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question Him. Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and He took the bread and He gave them and the fish likewise. I love when I read stuff like this in the Bible. Okay, it's like we've been talking about the last two weeks. Who is this? I want you to think about it. Who is this serving breakfast to these men? Who is it? What have we been saying for the last two weeks? Three weeks? Who is it? It's God. God is serving breakfast to His men. I love when I read stuff like this in the Bible. Don't you love this? <laughs> Don't you love the infinite condescension of God? He could have had 10,000 angels make the breakfast. Right? He's doing it. And He's serving His men. God, I am God, is serving His creatures. If this, does, if this is not worship provoking to you, you're not understanding it. <laughs> this is how God is with His people. He's serving these men. This God who has taken on flesh and who was born in a stable, worked as a humble carpenter. This God who had no place to lay His head and He washed the dirty feet of sinful men. He serves breakfast to His men who are in sin. Who is a God like ours? Isn't it great to have a God who forgives? And I think Peter said it, a God who comes to restore. He's coming to restore, right? Bringing His boys back into fellowship, full fellowship. They were supposed to be on the mountain, but they messed up. How many times has that happened in your life? Have you ever messed up with God? Maybe some of you are very spiritual and you never have. Maybe only once. You know I'm joking. I know I've messed up a lot. And one thing we can count on, He'll discipline us and He'll set us straight and He'll love us through it. I love this about Jesus. I love this about Him. You can see the loving kindness in the text. And verse 14 gives us another big clue here. It says, this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after He was raised from the dead. So we know they haven't been to the mountain yet. Because the first two times, the first two times that Jesus manifested Himself to His men, it was in Jerusalem. So this is the third time, and they're in Galilee. They haven't been to the mountain yet. I think this is pretty 
good evidence for the position I'm taking here. They haven't been to the mountain yet. But Jesus comes. He comes to them. Verse 15 through 17, you know this famous text. Jesus turns to Peter and says, Do you love me more than these? What's he talking about? You know, scholars disagree, theologians disagree. Um, I'll tell you my view. But first, you know, some, some theologians, scholars think he's talking about the other disciples. Peter, do you love me more than these guys? Because you remember what Peter said. He says, if, I don't care if everybody betrays you, I never will because I love you that much. So Peter had already proclaimed that he loved Jesus more than anyone else. And so some people believe that, some scholars believe that uh, he's talking about, do you love me more than these other disciples? I don't believe that's what he's asking him. I believe that he's asking him, do you love me more than your old life? Do you love me more than your boat and your nets and your comfortable living and your home and proximity to your family? Proximity to your friends? Proximity to, your, to, your, to the old gang down at the synagogue? Do you love me more than that, Peter? Do you, can you walk away from everything because you love me like that? Can you do what I've called you to do? I really think that's what, what's at issue here. Do you love me more than your old life? Do you love me more than that? Beloved, a lot of Christians simply do not. A lot of, let me put it this way. A lot of professed Christians simply really don't love God more than they love their old life. Now, they, they hope God will work, will work for them and bless them and, and maybe save them, right? We've talked about this utilitarian view of God in, in the modern church that you just want to keep God working for you. You know, He's, he's the genie in the bottle. He's the, he's the cosmic slot machine. You just got to pull that lever right and blessings will come, right? This very, very low view of God, this blasphemous view of God, it's always the same, beloved, with every true Christian. It's always the same. Do you love me more than anything else? It's always like this. This is biblical Christianity. <laughs> Do you love me more than everything else in your life? What is the biblical test for love? We talked about it Thursday night at Young Adult Bible Study. What is the biblical test for love? Going to church. Right? When it's convenient, only if it's convenient, only if it doesn't conflict with anything else I want to do, I'll worship you, Christ, on Sunday. Right? I can tell you as an international pastor, I've seen this uh, a lot I've seen it a lot. You know, personally, I build my... Of course, you say, well, of course, Jim, you're a preacher. Of course. Before I was a preacher, I built my week around Sunday. Sunday was first, right? I'm going to worship my incarnate, crucified, risen God. That's what I'm going to do first. And then everything else comes next. It's not to say that sometimes... I get it. Sometimes we're away. Okay, I get it. Sometimes we're away. But I think there's a, an issue of priority, maybe, for some of us. And he asks us, 
He asked, he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And finally Peter says, you know I love you, Lord. You know I do. You know the bottom of my heart. You know I love you. He said, then do what I said to you. Do what I told you to do. Go fish for men. Go tend my sheep. Go teach my sheep. Go love my sheep. Peter, that's why I created you. Peter, that's why I redeemed you. Go do it. Christianity, I always tell you, Christianity is very, very simple. It's very simple. Just do what Jesus says. It's, it's just so simple, right? I know that, you know, Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy and, and some Protestant churches, I know they pile a lot of junk on it, right? But what it is, is, well, it's John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep know me. And what do my sheep do? Someone tell me. They follow me. It's not rocket science, beloved. It's not rocket science. So, Jesus is restoring Peter to uh, his headship or his leadership. He denied Christ three times, so Christ gave him the opportunity to proclaim his love three times. Verse 18 and 19. Jesus tells Peter what it's going to cost him. What's it going to cost him to go with Jesus? What's it going to cost him? Do you know what the text says? Do you know what it means? Probably most of you do. He said, You'll be, you're, when you grow old, your arms will be stretched out, which is a euphemism for you will be crucified. If you go with me, Peter, ultimately you'll be crucified. And tradition tells us that Peter was crucified. He preached the Gospel for three decades. He wrote several letters that ended up in the Bible. He had an amazing ministry. He did end up being martyred. Uh, tradition tells us being crucified upside down at his own request because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way that, that Jesus was. Peter, do you love me that much? I love this text. <laughs> I love this text. I do love it so. Verse 20 and 21. Then Peter says, hey, what about John? Look what he's, Well, first, I want, I want to go back to verse 19. He says, what does he say? He says, follow me in some kind of sheepish way. What does your Bible say? Jesus says what? The NAS, that's the, the translation I use. The NAS, does yours have an exclamation point? Okay. Follow me! With everything you have, Peter, that's what Christianity is. Again, I'm not talking about sinlessness. I mean, these guys were in sin, but Jesus came to restore them, right? He says, follow me now. Follow me. And then He says, what about John? Peter says, what about this guy? And what does Jesus say? <laughs> what does Jesus say? That's none of your business! It's none of your business! You follow me! You don't worry about John. I hear this all the time as a pastor. Well, you know, how come these Christians are rich and these are poor? How come these are sick and these are healthy? You know? How come these have much fruit in their ministry? These have little fruit in their ministry? You know, it's a hundred different kinds of questions. That's none of your business. You're not supposed to be auditing what God is doing in someone else's life. You're just supposed to be doing what God's told you to do in your life, beloved. Jesus says, hey, that's none of your business. You follow 
me. So, the question tonight is, for you and for me, are you following Him? And I'm, I, I want you to be honest with yourself. It's just you and God sitting in your chair there. Some of you may need to come clean with God. That's okay. You do it in your chair there. But are you following Him? Have you sold out? As Richard said perfectly in summation of last week's sermon, are you all in? Are you all in every day, all day? I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about what makes your heart beat fast. (laughs) I'm talking about the fact that if Jesus showed up tomorrow in your spirit and He called you to do something completely different, could you do it? Could you happily and gladly do it? Simply because He's your satisfaction? My career is not my satisfaction. Ultimately. My family is not my ultimate satisfaction. My portfolio is not my ultimate satisfaction or comfort. Jesus is. And if He shows up tomorrow and He calls me to something brand new, of course I'll go. Not to go would be wrong, but as I've said numerous times already, not to go would be loss. It would be loss for you, beloved. It's why I push you around every time you come in here. Because I love you. And I want the best for you. And the best for you is to sell out to Jesus Christ. Not to play church. And as we've said many times, that not only does it please God, it enrages God. That men think they can play religion and please Him. Men who love their traditions more than they love God. Men who love Him with their words only, but never with their heart. God hates that. And so I want to I beat that drum. And I want to, I yeah, make sure you hear me. So not only will that befall you, but you can share that, that biblical truth with everyone in your life. So, have you been downsizing with God? Have you been rationalizing? Have you been compromising? The challenge for you, the challenge for me tonight is that no more, no more rationalization. Because I'm convinced that Jesus Christ is my superior satisfaction, that He will satisfy me above everything else on the planet and in the cosmos because He can satisfy me like no one else can satisfy me. Of course, I'll do whatever He says. Of course, I'll follow Him into radical obedience. Of course I will. And I'm going to close with this. We've talked about it several times. I always go back to Mary. You know, Mary who, who anointed the feet of Jesus with 20,000 U.S. Bring it into modern terms, 20,000 bucks worth of perfume. And uh, so, do you remember? <laughs> you remember? I'm done. But do you remember how Jesus delighted in it? It's just pure worship. It's just a lover of Christ, loving Christ. That's what He's looking for in your life. Are you just a lover of Christ, loving Christ? 
That's what it means to be a disciple. So I challenge you. I challenge you. Are you all in? Are you all in? Ask yourself. Go home. Get still. Be alone. Are you all in? I'm going to say it one more time and then I'm done. If you're not all in, not only is it wrong, someone tell me, it's loss. It's loss. Let's pray together. Lord, what a gracious God You are. How You come to Your men who have left off following You. How You come in great tenderness to restore. But Lord, You are so faithful to lay the best at our feet. You love us too much to let us settle for what is good, merely good. You've called us to the best. And the best is to walk intimately with You without qualification, without rationalization, without compromise. It doesn't really matter how every professed Christian around us lives. All that matters is I love You and I will obey You. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter how everyone else in the professed church says it should be done. It doesn't matter What matters to me is that I would love You supremely. And that my life is open. My life is Yours. It's not mine. It's Yours. Have Your way with me, God. I know I have moments. Only moments left on this planet as compared to eternity. Moments. Lord, I don't want to waste one more moment. Bid me come. Bid me come, Lord Jesus. Bid me come. Let me be Your man. Let me finish well with You, Lord. We all want to finish well. We all want to make much of You. We all want to be Your witnesses in the world. Help us, Lord, for we are weak and frail. Help us, Lord, for we are easily deceived. Help us, Lord, for we are easily made comfortable And it's hard for us to get up when we're comfortable. Help us, Lord. You know our frame. Help us, we pray. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ, Amen.